0: Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. Welcome
1: to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, disasters, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Now, I know some of you out there are going to recognize my guest um, because I felt she was a celebrity at a recent uh, conference where I finally got to meet her face-to-face in person. um, As she was walking towards uh, myself and my co-host James Green, all I could see were people waving and uh, my guest waving back. So I knew, wow, this is quite the celebrity. So I'm really happy to have on the show today to talk about operational resilience Getting the seat at the C Suite table, Lisa Jones. Lisa, welcome to the show.
2: <laughs> Alex, first of all, thank you for having me, and I'm so happy that we finally got to meet in person. You know, we made a connection. I think through online through COVID, so yeah. to see people in person it has been a great experience. <laughs> I can put it, actually, put, you actually are taller than I thought you were.
1: <laughs> and i'm not that tall <laughs> well, it was great to finally meet you uh in person and i'm really happy that you agreed to uh come on the show i know it's long overdue but i'm really glad um you agreed to join us today now of course i know i'm pumping you up and i'm talking about you but uh, we do have listeners literally around the globe even in nepal and uh different countries like that so could you take a minute or two and tell us a little bit about yourself what you do, and how you got into this crazy industry of ours.
2: Oh, boy, we can be here all day. But my (laughs) name is Lisa Jones. Um, I am currently a regional manager for Control Risk Embedded Services, as well as the co-founder and managing partner of the resilience think tank um if you haven't heard for from about us please look us up online and uh, linkedin um i've been doing this for about 15 years now it might be a little longer sometimes that i lose a year or add a year, depending. Mm-hmm. But uh, I started out again, like many people in our profession, who's been in the business for a while. If was something that is assigned to me, I was an administrative assistant. Didn't know what business continuity was, let alone software and all these things that they wanted to present to me. And they asked me to be part of this uh, tool that they were using. So. Fast forward 15 years now, it became something that was I was intimidated by to something that I've made a, a, a career out of, and I have loved the experience ever since.
1: And welcome to the show. I'm glad you're, good, you're <laughs> joining us today. And I do find it funny how many people I talk to that just fell into it or were voluntold you know, yes part of it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but with the, the think tank, hopefully we'll be able to change that and make a real career out of it for a lot of people.
2: Yes, we def- yes. definitely. Our goal is to, and and now that you're a member of our of our wonderful community, we're looking forward to, for the things that we can do together to really shape the future.
1: <laughs> well, um, there are a couple of ideas, but we won't give anything away. But yes. a couple of ideas. So okay, <laughs> more to come. Jump, yeah, <laughs> well, let's <laughs> jump into the topic of operational resilience. You know, getting that uh, seat at the uh, C suite table. Yeah. Uh, my first question for you is a lot of leaders have their own definition of operational resilience. And depending on their backgrounds, it could be different for everybody. How do you define it?
2: Yeah. So I don't want to upset the operational res- resilience purists uh, out there. For, so for me, uh, how I define it is really how do we... Is, planning from that end-to-end process of those things that you provide to customers uh, what whether, whether the what, what is the services or products that you provide the customers and doing the end-to-end process of, of planning for that uh, for that process um, I understand that there's other pieces to that part to that, but for overall resilience, that's really what we want to focus on. What are those processes, those services, those products that we provide to customers, and how do we make sure that our customers can continue to get those
1: products and services? I like what you said at the very beginning there, um, not upsetting you know purists and things like that. Uh, when it comes to operational resilience or resilience in general, see, I'm already off script, so I've only asked one one question. Uh, uh, it really resilience to me is what it it should be defined as to how I feel it is or how it best fits my organization rather than trying to change my organization to fit someone else's or another uh, industry's definition of it. i I, I liked your point yeah. there. Would you agree? Yeah, and I,
2: yeah definitely. And I, and we have to be, you know, let's be clear about why we're talking about operational resilience. Operational resilience is a standard that has come out of Europe. And it's a standard that many organizations, particularly in finance, uh, have to follow. And when you're a global company, yes, you're going to focus on the, the very definition of what operational resilience is. But if I'm a small business Uh, a small business somewhere else. I'm not thinking about that true definition, but what we can do, there are organizations that we can still tell them, hey, organizational resilience is really, I mean, I'm sorry, operational resilience is really about just overall resilience for your organization. How do you ensure that your company can still do do its business? I mean, it's it's more than just a good thing to have. It's a value, it's a it's value added. Um, as we saw in COVID, I mean, we saw organizations because they didn't think about overall resilience, had um, they shut their doors, went out of business because they didn't have that forethought to think about what resilience was in the beginning. So we're really just talking from, so from an overall perspective, if you do not, for those organizations that do not truly have to adopt those standards or definitions of what organization, I'm sorry, operational resilience, the, the two things, I love both. Uh opres, let's say that. Op-res is in, uh, that they need to adopt in order to meet that finding that requirement, that standard. There's still parts of it that I think any organization, if
1: they're interested, could adopt and make their company more resilient. Well, that's a part of what a lot of these standards say. You know, some of these uh, aspects and uh, points that we have in this standard may not apply to you, you know. So adopt what works so that you get the best out of it. And Correct. I think sometimes we we see a standard or guideline and think we have to uh, follow it so that all the t's are crossed and all the eyes are dotted. And it's you know sometimes then that creates some frustration sometimes. Yeah,
2: and I think and and I think from the operational. uh, resilience perspective, I think because it you can get or you can receive some punitive damages and we don't even know what those are. I mean, it's not truly defined in the in the standard. We see organizations that have missed the mark and have paid thousands, millions of dollars. I mean, they are they're holding particularly the C-suite accountable when when they're when they're when they're not uh, Performing those regulations, and those requirements in. So I can understand uh, the the way our industry is responding to this. So it, it is it, so we don't want to make light of that in the mm-hmm. same vein. Again, because there's so many different types of organizations, so many different industries that look at operational resilience and say, this is not something for me. Or it's it's this is way too much for me to even put in place. How do we, how do I even start? If we change the narrative and say, okay, let's not even think about the the regulation itself. Let's think about overall business resilience. And I can't I will not take, take I can't take credit for that because I t- I heard a colleague say that and I said he was spot on. So I'll give I'll give a shout out to Terry Downing because he when I heard him say that I said Eureka. That's what we should be selling, not so much the, the standard itself, whether it's ISO or you know, or operational resilience or organizational resilience or enterprise resilience. Those things are, are, are just things that we can use to level set or kind of give us tools to implement things. But mm-hmm. overall, business resilience is what we should be leaning towards and trying to get to. And I think
1: even our C-suite understands it a little better if we give them that approach. It kind of reminds me of us having a a map and we both have the same destination, but that doesn't necessarily mean we have to take the same road.
3: Correct. I may want to avoid some of the tolls that I when I go to my destination, you may love the tolls because it gets you there faster. It's all about how we interpret where we want to go and using those, those, those tools as roadmaps.
1: Yeah. So... Things change so fast, though, in our industry. Oh, not Well, actually, let me take that back. Things change so fast. It doesn't matter the industry. Yeah. How do you keep pace with uh, operational resilience or how can operational resilience keep pace with that?
3: Yeah, I think that that is a that's a huge challenge that all organizations have to face. And I think the first thing that we have to do is how can we do continuous monitoring of of all of our functions, our processes? Now, not every organization has maybe have the budget to do that, which is understandable. You know, we understand these large global corporations have, uh, you know, have have more things that they can do that, you know, can, can, can do that continuous monitoring. But that's something that we have to try to adopt. I don't think we'll, we'll, we'll never be able to uh, capture everything, but we need to do a, a better job of how we do that. So even if it's some incremental things that we can uh, implement, whether it's uh, through change management, whether it's through, you know, maybe through your risk management organization, um, even through ITDR, they tend to have the bigger budget. <laughs> so mm-hmm. let's lean on them to kind of get those uh, some of those things in place. But I think that's the first, that's the first place where we have to start.
1: I, I like that approach. How, how you uh, define that uh, you break break the big pie up into smaller pieces, and it makes it more manageable. Starting with different groups. Too much, yeah. and you're going to fall flat on your face.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I think, and I think something that that I think about when we talk about Operation Resilience in general. Um, You know, smaller companies are actually doing that because if you think about it, you have to bring in DR, you have to bring in the business continuity team, you have to bring in the risk management team. And because companies are small enough, they probably have one or two people doing the same job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, be, yeah. let's be honest. Let's be honest. So <laughs> It's easier for them to really see that that end to end process and what and those dependencies and all those things that take place when you're in a larger comp- company, which is more complex. There's some politics that is involved. Uh, so how, there's, so there's going to be some, there's going to be some challenges, um, ensuring that you're looking at, you know, these end to end processes. Now, not that it can't be done. It definitely can be done. And that's when, that's why it's important to be able to, uh, understand the culture of the organization. Also socializing these things into the corporate, into your organization, really bringing it as part of the culture. Um, It just helps build that overall resilience into an organization.
1: Not to put you on the spot, but just out of curiosity, do you think it's easier for a smaller company to find that happy state of resilience or be on that path than it is for a large organization?
3: I don't know if it's necessarily easier. It's probably more manageable. And Mm -hmm. like I said, half the time because it's such a small organization, they don't even know they're doing it. Because again, I an example, I'll give an example. I look. I worked for a smaller organization when I first started. Um, the IP person was also the BC person. We <laughs> did have a risk management person and we worked with facilities. We didn't technically we really were doing operational resilience before it was even called or termed operational resilience. Um, was it? It was definitely manageable because again, it was a smaller organization. We had no choice but to talk to each other. <laughs> we didn't have we didn't have time to be siloed. Um, but if you go to a, a bigger company, yes, you because you have so many. Some of the just some of the orgs itself is like, I'm just dealing with this one division with five thousand processes, and then I gotta talk to this division that has maybe five thousand processes. That don't even talk to each other didn't even know that they're supposed to talk to each other so bridging that gap could be even more complex um and when you don't have when you don't have that seat at the table of of talking to the c-suite how do you bubble that up that's where the challenge comes
1: we're going to talk about that in our next segment because believe it or not we've already come to the end of our first one <laughs> we're talking today with lisa jones about getting a seat at the C- c-suite table Talking about operational resilience, and we will be right back.
0: A little birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. How do you
3: cultivate braver, more daring leaders? And how do you embed the value of courage in your culture? How do you take charge of your life and achieve your goals and bring about positive changes that propel you forward? On The Leader's Edge, join your hosts, Steve and Ernie, as they bring a mix of insights in personal and leadership growth that shapes your culture and the culture around you. Lean in and learn intentionally how to accelerate into your next best life. Tune into The Leader's Edge with de Kumos and Steve Steele, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: You're listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome
1: back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Today, we are talking with Lisa Jones about operational resilience and getting the seat at the seat suite table. And I think that's the best place to start this segment, Lisa. (laughs) How do we get Operation Resilience a seat at the C-suite table, considering in the last couple of years there's been uh, new positions, C-level positions, that are cropping up, like the chief risk officer or the chief cyber officer? How do you get chief resiliency officer at that table?
2: Wow. And that that is the million dollar question. If we solve that today, <laughs> I'm retiring because I'm selling it. But what <laughs> I will say that uh, if you, if you if your goal uh, is to to end your goal and you, and you have to you have to truly uh, follow what operational resilience is, you know, the true definition of it. Um, You'll probably have a better selling point than someone who's just trying to use operational resilience as a tool to build overall resilience for an organization. As we talked about before, there are punitive damages that companies can take particularly. And they're not just going going against the organization. They're going against the actual C-suite executive that's assigned you know uh, operational resilience. So, I mean, if you look at some of the some of the uh, the articles that are coming out right now in Europe, you know, again, the punitive damages and maybe jail time. I would be yeah. afraid. <laughs> I I would be definitely afraid. So the just if you're able to use that as the as that stick to get people to to get it at the sweet sweet, that's great. Unfortunately, not everyone has that stick to use. I mean, we are asking. We are asking companies uh, who we are asking companies in this time. We look at as we look at COVID and how we got through it And now. They're saying, oh, we were able to get through it. It's not a big deal, which God bless them (laughs) 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 to say that. Um, So we got to kind of we kind of kind of continue the narrative of saying, see how we got through COVID. We need to keep going and, and, being, over, and being resilient. You know, pre- customers in particular are asking for more, expecting more of our organizations. And if we can't deliver, they will easily find someone else to go to. Even those organizations that are not maybe customer facing, they're still, you're delivering something to someone. Um, mm-hmm. So where does that lie? You know, where does that lie? Where, if you were unable to do that? you know, what are, do you not question that? Do you not have a solution for that? So that's really where we got to, Again, we got to keep it very simple and simplistic because, you know, uh, C-suite has to answer to someone. So whether they have to, whether it's losing market shares, whether they have a board to talk to and they can't answer those questions, I think they, they would have a, an appetite. Uh, to kind of adopt some of the operational resilience uh, standard,
1: part of the standards, but overall resilience,
2: I would definitely think they would want to look at.
1: You think one of the challenges trying to get that seat could be that often we, uh, resilience or business continuity or disaster or emergency management, crisis management, we're always seen as uh, Debbie or Doug Downers. You know because we're always pointing out what could go wrong rather than what could go right which is what the finance guy wants to do right i want to know what's going right so the bottom line looks good meanwhile Mm -hmm. we're sitting there going yeah but this is what could go wrong and a lot that scares a lot of people
2: yeah and also you think about it i mean i have to as much as we say we bring you know what is our return on investment there's no true dollar number or dollar amount that we can truly say, unless, unless a disruption happened and we say, Hey, because of your business continuity plan, we did X, X Y, Z, ABC. Sometimes you may, let's be honest. We may not even use that business continuity plan ever mm-hmm. <laughs> in an organization. I think COVID was probably the only time where most organizations actually considered implementing any type of activation, uh, or, you know, for something. Uh, Outside of that, it's we are it's more of a nice to have. So how do we, we really have to change the culture of just being very reactive and being more proactive? And that's what operational resilience is. It's about changing the narrative from being reactive to incidents, to disruptions and being very proactive to able to mitigate those things have things in place was that first line of defense to have those things in place first before we even reach that point where we have to uh, uh until we get to a point where we have to actually activate something or recover or you know address some type of disruption.
1: But I guess that's part of the challenge too is right from the very beginning of our industry, uh way back in the 50s and 60s with you know banks and rebuilding mainframes. You know way back then it was always reactive what if what do we do if xyz is gone if this facility is not not there so what do we do when it happens so it, it it's more of what do we do when it happens rather than what do we do to prevent it from happening or you know minimizing the impact and even our training courses throughout the years were geared that way so a lot mm-hmm. of the leadership that's out there that's what they were taught to think.
2: Yep, yep, and and that's why there's some there's even some pushback even between our in the business continuity space where you know some of us who've been here for a while saying well this is the way we 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 did it and always did it and we have new people coming in it but hey yep. there could we could change some things and we have we have no choice to change things only because things are moving so rapidly think about this if during COVID we didn't just have COVID that we had to respond to. We had to respond to fires, uh, wildfires in California. We had, you know, the ice storms in Texas. We had earthquakes, all of those things. We don't have, we didn't have the luxury just responding to a hurricane like we normally did before. We always only, you know, just responding to one thing at a time. There's multiple things happening. And tack on a little cybersecurity, uh, cyber attack on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, you got everybody from home. Now you got a party. So the more that we're able to bring all these, it, when you think about the C suite, we br- when we bring in you know all these different parts of our organization together to have that conversation, it's easier. It's an easier sell. Our challenge is getting to that to that C suite level to be able to have that conversation. That's why it's very important to have a sponsor and, we, and or have someone that can champion that conversation. It's easy for me. It'll be if, if I can't get to the C-suite, how about I do this? How about I take an approach where I say, hey, let me talk to the risk management com- department and say, hey, you know, I'm finding these different gaps and mitigations that I'm finding when I'm doing this business continuity plan. Have you noticed any of those things? Maybe we can tag team together. And bubble it up. But there are ways to get there. We it just have may not be that direct
1: path. And that was actually going to be a question I was going to ask you. What if we can't get to the actual table? Is there an alternate route? And I like that building the uh, relationships with other groups. Go find um, either a sponsor or someone that you can partner with that maybe have a little bit more clout, uh, clout like. Um, Well, you you mentioned risk, which would be perfect because everybody looks at the risk group. So uh, finding that alternate path to get there.
2: Yeah. And also, I mean, it also, is, it it also is helpful for wherever, wherever you're positioned in the in the organization, you know, business continuity tends to be more positioned and not every, not every industry. But let's say for the most part, from what I've seen, it's always been in the IT space. Mm-hmm. IT does have the money, <laughs> so we can tend to be there. But we also need to try to get to the ad the administrative piece of, of the organization, you know, the HRs and the payrolls and the finances of the world, as well as if you're in, you know, manufacturing, understanding those, the, you, for me, when I was in working in the manufacturing and, and distribution organization, it was, it was the actual uh, distribution centers, especially the big ones. They had all the, the keys to the, <laughs> the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> so, you know, really make, you know, Overall, understanding your organization first. Let's let's even start. Let's even start there. How many of our business continuity people do not understand the organization that they're in? Let's, if you can, if you can crack that, that's where you find how how to get to the you know get to that C-suite, get to those important people, the key people. Starting there is 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 golden.
1: I I like what you mentioned there uh, also about building the partnerships with the smaller smaller groups, because if you can't find that uh, big sponsor, let's say, you know, the director or VP of risk doesn't want to talk to you. Okay. Well, let's go talk to the manager of health and safety and the manager of facilities and start there, you know, yep. and okay, which are the, what are your key topics that all three of us need to engage on? And then you expand that a little bit more and you bring out someone else and, and then risk does turn around and say, Hey, what are you guys doing? You, I think you're i think we need to get involved with what you're doing yes. you know it's like uh-huh yeah yes doing it doing it a little bit differently a
2: little bit differently yes exactly
1: <laughs> so with uh, i the, now that's us trying to create that operational resilience how should hopefully leadership go about fostering that uh to to help promote operational resilience i know it's yeah. very easy to just say thou shall do but that doesn't yeah. mean it will happen.
2: <laughs> Correct. <laughs> That's why it's very important for for sweet uh, executives, you know, executive leadership, really to socialize that in the culture. Once something is built in the culture, it's it's second hand. It's it's habitual. Just like you know, an example: if an organization is bringing in a new application. What should the standard be? It should be, you know, it should be looked at by the application team. It should be stress test by cybersecurity. BC should have some some seat at the table. Make sure the SLAs are okay. Risk management to say is this a, you know, what are the critical functions or whatever that's gonna that's going to support it. Is there any you know any gaps that we may see? If we can build that in the beginning, just imagine how streamlined that would be. Now, I understand that is. That's probably my Pollyanna pie in the sky. But it has to start. It has to start somewhere. And we know that even incremental change is better than than nothing. Um, so uh, as long as we can again foster those those conversations, get in front of the people that we need to. And if we can't get in front of people that we need to. Get oh, someone else to help us get in front of us the people that we need to. Exactly. Yeah. Because ultimately, again, operate, especially with operational resilience, you're touching on so many different things. You're touching on i it has to work with business continuity, it has to work with risk management, we have to work to with you know these other partners. So it has to be a full on approach. It can't just be one person driving this. that person can be the champion for it, but you still have to have all those people to
1: work together. I, uh, I You got me thinking of something in my program and project management days. Sometimes these, uh, well, not even just sometimes, I think it was almost every single project, regardless of size, had to have all of those things that you mentioned signed off on, security, uh, yep. DR, business continuity. Yep. Um, they all had to review before something could be implemented to see, does this change our DR strategy? Um, did we stress test it? Did we... Um, right. You know, did our cyber team look at it and find any vulnerabilities? Are there any yeah. contingencies that needed to change? And sometimes that's a good place to start, actually, in the project group because quite often they have that built into their process.
2: Correct. Yes, I think that, I think what we what we experience what we're experiencing now is just like you said before. Things move so fast. Everyone just wants to get things in quickly. And, and if we don't have those, you know, if we don't have this process in place, that's where things fall apart. You know, that's where we we can those gaps and then those those gaps are evident. And that's what, so if you do your du- due diligence in the beginning, imagine how well things can be in the end. And again, it goes back to building that into the culture, even if it has to be a, in just in your small department or a small group or small division. If if it works well, people will adopt it. If it doesn't work well, they're just going to let it go. So if you can just start start there, um, I'm I'm sure, and I can't say I'm sure, but <laughs> if you start there, it just gives you it give, it at least can promote it to be socialized to the rest of the organization.
1: Yeah, I I know I've I've done that. Uh, I was tasked with creating this whole process, and then I just kind of went, wait a minute, this sounds like my project management program management days um so i just looked into it and i said well there's already something there why can't we just adopt that and right. let's start that and we did start doing it and created it, and it actually made it better for the project team because they found it easier they had less challenges and things like that mm-hmm. I was like oh wow we have an ally and while i'm thinking wow well, we have an ally <laughs> <laughs> and it actually started to help everybody move forward. Exactly.
2: Yes, I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Can we all think the same? I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to get to the same point. Yeah. So you know, there's no point in creating a silo and blocking people off. Correct. Exactly.
2: Especially when, it, especially when you are tied to whatever the mission of your organization is, um, you know, if the mission is, you know, provide to your customers, what are those things we need to do to provide our customers? What is it going to make it easier for us to, you know, meet that goal? Um, or whatever those goals is for the organization, you know, if the goal, if, if whatever those the 2024 goals for your organization is, tap into mm-hmm. that. Figure out how you can, you know, collaborate with others to make
1: it to, to reach those goals yeah, you know, here's how we're contributing. Here's how, and you can do that with the risk group too. You know, you have I don't know, 10 risks or something in your registry. Here's how we contribute to that. Correct. And believe, yes. and I've had those conversations and I've got a feeling you have too. Yes. And let me tell you, their eyes just open wide. Like, I never knew any of this. This is fantastic. Yes. Really? You guys do that? <laughs> right. Yes. You can't be silent about these things. We saw what happened during COVID where we had,
2: We had actual our colleagues lost their jobs in the midst of COVID because they couldn't show the value. And it's and probably no fault of their own. I'm sure it's just the way the organization was structured, whatever that may be, but we have to do a new thing now.
1: I
3: mean,
2: again,
1: it's we gotta do a new thing. (laughs) Yep. On that note, believe it or not, we've already come to the end of our second segment. Time really flew on that one. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking today about operational resilience, getting that seat at the C-suite table. With Lisa Jones, and we will be right back.
0: Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Behind Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: Challenges in the workplace and within teams are only increasing as companies struggle to transition to a post-COVID-19 remote work situation. These unstable times have stretched companies and their leaders beyond their capacity, and they do not know how to maintain a balance of authority, empathy, compassion, and assertiveness toward their coworkers, much less continue their own career trajectory. Leading with Intention with Monique Daneau offers support, encouragement, and tools to help corporate leaders address their personal shortcomings and emerge from these unprecedented times as well-rounded, self-assured leaders. Leading with Intention, Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected.
1: Welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Today we are talking with Lisa Jones about operational resilience and getting that seat at the C-suite table. Lisa, great first and second segments. Uh, I've got an interesting question for you. Okay. Many organizations talk about organizational resilience. Does operational resilience compete or contribute to that?
2: By all means, operational resilience definitely uh, contributes to organizational resilience. Over, organizational resilience, when you think about it, we're really looking at the overall holistic uh, way of being resilient for the organization. Name is calling it business resilience. Un- Fortunately, or fortunately, what, what I would like to say is that organization resilience is a standard, again, another standard, talking about, you know, the ability for an organization to bounce back after some type of disruption, being able to mitigate that, you know, put things in place beforehand to lessen the burden of, of recovery, Operational resilience again is a is the scheme of how you uh, protect those products and services that you're pro- providing to customers, and for customers still to be able to get those products and services when you have a disruption. It's, they're almost they're very symbiotic in in mm-hmm. what they talk about and what they do. They're very symbiotic in, in bringing the whole organization together, and they're very symbiotic in Changing and socializing the socializing a culture of resilience for your organization. So definitely, they're they're very collaborative in, in that approach. Can you have one without the other? I think you can. It's not. It may not be as helpful, but uh, you you could have uh, one without the other. It just I, it's just anything that can enhance your program by adopting again adopting some of that adopting. Uh, operational resilience into an organizational resilient program is very helpful. Can you have it without a course? Um, would it would it behoove you to have both? Yes <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. well it, it, if you if you've got a negative culture, that's going to impact you know how your uh, preparedness levels are going, you know and plans and processes and communication is going to be impacted because yes. we don't have a culture that allows, Alex to talk to Lisa. So when yeah. something happens, I'm barely gonna know Lisa. You know, we're not gonna know how we, we're supposed to work together.
2: Exactly. And and like and like we said before, with operational zones, you have to bring four or five people together just to look at one process. If I have a process of providing t-shirts to my customers. Who's providing me the t-shirts? Who's doing the printing? Who's doing the delivery? You know, how are they are? How are they ordering those on? on how are they you know making those purchases? Is it online? Is it in a store? You have to talk to. Um, there's just all these people just for one process. Organizational resilience is talking about everything that the organization does, whether it's. Uh, your HR department to ensuring that people get paid or benefits or whatever that may be, or, you know, your, uh, you know, facilities manager making sure that the building is safe and stable and all those other things. If if, if there's a flood on, on, uh, on floor four, you know, who's on floor four? What, what, you know, what is what is damage? How are those things? All of and those how things... are we
1: protecting the people of on the floors oh, below? Oh,
2: yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> Correct. So it, it, you have. To, I don't understand. It, you know, I it, the whole siloed thing. I get it. I mean, we we come into organizations, especially as, the more the complex they are, the more siloed. I'm am amazed. I'm not maybe I'm not amazed, but amazed about how siloed things can be, even in this fast pace world where we have to have these continuous monitoring. We have things changing constantly, still trying to deal with that. That silo mentality mentality is is hard, but it comes down again to communication, to the culture of the organization. What is the C-suite uh, pulling, you know, telling their, you know, telling employees and staff. And when they, you don't feel uh, that that's being communicated properly, you hold on to your little department. Um,
1: yeah. I, I think that's important. Sometimes I think that gets lost in the translation that would break down silos. People think that means you're taking something away from me.
2: Oh, my goodness. Yes.
1: (laughs) That's not the case.
2: That's not the case at all. And we had the opportunity to bring people together because we see all the things we see that HR is. Uh, dependent on the mail room because they get certain things from them. Or we see that finance is dependent on this person because if this person goes out or this vendor is gone, we see those things. So our job is really to foster those conversations when there are siloed siloed points in in that process. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we do that well. We also need that support from leadership to do. So that's, that's I think, some of the the, the, the roadblocks that we may uh, come up against um, when we're doing some of those things. And when people, like you said, if people feel like you're going to take something away from them,
1: they're going to hold on to it even harder. Yeah. Is it, is it as easy as just going, walking up to a C-level person and just saying, I need your help with something? It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a report or sit at the the table, but just saying, "I need your help with something. I need to understand such and such. Is there some way I can do that? Can can you just do those kind of things?"
2: I think at smaller organizations you can. You know, they always say. I, I found the smaller organizations have those open door policies that they say you can talk to everyone, and sometimes that does, does that does mm. work. In a more complex uh, environment, you really kind of got to work your work the chain up, work up the chain. So maybe not, you may be not be able to talk to the C- CEO. Let's be honest. If I work for, I don't know, if I work for Amazon, I'm not talking to Jassy. He's not, he's not <laughs> <out> for me. <laughs> or Tesla. I'm not I'm not talking to Elon Musk anytime soon. But there has to be, there. I'm sure there's ways, there are ways we, we can do, you know, skip level down, you know, go maybe in the middle management or try to find you know two or three people within their org to bring them together and say you know I you know I noticed that I've talked to some of these you know points of context as I'm building these plans and noticed that there's a there's a true gap that I'm seeing in your in your department in your organization can we talk about that and maybe they can take and they can take that up the chain uh, to get some yeah. visibility on it and that's where we have to start when we, if we don't have that you know don't have the CEO, can we meet with their, you know, the person, of course, of them, you know, we can't meet that person. Maybe, you know, someone else in the organization can get that information up.
1: Kind of a uh, whittle away at the, the, the mountain, right? One little pebble yes. at a time. Yes. I'm. Right. You know, apparently
2: we got to do work. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: so uh, I, I'm wondering then, um, Well, actually, I'm going to ask this question because you've mentioned them a few times. Enterprise risk management. What's the best way to talk to them? Because they're always trying to be on top of everything because Mm. they are usually the ones who are putting the reports together, not just for the C-suite, but the board of directors. So what's the best way to really interact with them? Because I felt for a long time now that they're a key group to get on board. Yeah.
2: yeah. We uh, Well, one thing we have to remember when we're talking to enterprise risk management, the types of risks that we're capturing may be slightly different than what they're capturing. So sometimes there's a disconnect even between the two of us to say, you know, we're really looking at risk from the recovery plan aspect of, you know, how to recover a plan, like single points of failure if Joe Smo is the only one that's doing that job or, you know, but... In the same vein, the risk that the organization is capturing—if we could—if we could have that conversation to to the to the enterprise risk to say, okay, what is on the risk register? Like like we talked about before, give me the top ten things that are on the risk register, and and let me help you in defining that to the organization, or maybe mm-hmm. planning for those processes that were, or whatever that may impact within the organization. We can if we can, you know, bring our bring our powers together, I'm sure we can figure out the best mitigation strategy from a plan perspective as well as from an enterprise risk perspective of putting your controls in place because you have controls you want to put in place. I have things from a mitigation strategy that can, you know, meet some of those those gaps and we can meet, we can, we can work together on it.
1: I, I always find it interesting when I've talked to some groups about enterprise risk management and the risk registry, the corporate risk or enterprise risk registry, whatever whatever name it's given, and it's kept in a large part in secret. Yes. And I find, well, why are you keeping that in secret? Because I find that keeping it a secret is a hindrance to trying to get that real operational and organizational resilience uh, level uh, or uh, state or uh, being or whatever you want to term it as, trying to achieve that. Yeah, I mean, it, like, don't, don't yeah hide that.
2: Yeah, it's almost as if they they think you're going to put it on Twitter. I don't know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but even then, you know, a lot of that stuff applies to many organizations anyway. Exactly. Cyber, you know, terrorism or poly crises you know, all these kind of things that are out there. You know, market share. Well. You know, that there's no secrets there. Yeah.
2: yeah. You know, another thing you could do is like if you if you can get a horizon scan, I know the BCI does horizon scanning. There's other organizations that may have a risk map of twenty twenty four. Take that information and take that to your risk management and say, Hey, how much of this aligns to our current organization? Are these things we should start considering? In in my planning, as I work with or as I work with teams, are these things that I should be, you know, keeping in the back of my mind to ensure that those recovery strategies are meeting some of the things you have listed in your in your risk management or on your risk registry.
1: Yeah, and then if they uh, you know have that conversation with you, they're going to say, "Wow, I didn't know a lot of this stuff was going on. This right. is great," and that starts making its way into reports to the C suite. And up to the BOD. So now you have, to your point, you found an alternate path to get to that table. Ding, ding. I love it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You're catching on, my friend. (laughs) I hope so after all these years. (laughs)
2: Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, we've only got about uh, three minutes left. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know. Time just flies here. Um, Do you have any final thoughts or messages you'd like to convey about operational resilience, um, getting to the C-suite or organizational resilience, you know, anything you'd like to uh, convey?
2: Yeah, I would just say that anything we can do to socialize, whether it's operational resilience, organizational resilience, anything we can do to help bring that into the organization without having to carry a big stick is always helpful. We don't have to comply to everything that's within the standard, but there are great things within whatever standard you decide to adopt uh, to bring that onto your organization. Um, Ultimately, our goal as business content professionals professionals or resiliency professionals or whatever we want to call ourselves today uh, is to help our organizations be overall, be resilient. Tying those to whatever the mission statement of our organization is, is always helpful. And just really understanding where we are from a from the organization first, understanding your organization is the best way to help apply some of those things that we uh, really want to do from a business context
1: you kind of touched on something there that uh i think frustrates a lot of people uh, because it was um you know uh, i know i touched on it you just did by saying you know or whatever we want to call ourselves and i think that might be terminology you know sure some definitions we may not be clear on but a lot of our terminology gets is interchangeable people don't understand it and depending on the industry we come come from uh, we'll use a different word, and that doesn't help our case.
2: Are you trying to tell me we're going to be, have another podcast just on terminology? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm here
1: for it. <laughs> yeah. What are we
2: calling ourselves today?
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I I was on a panel years ago at a conference, and I mentioned terminology, and there were people from a couple of different groups, uh, I won't name them, that were there. And I said, you know, you three should get together and come up with common terminology so that all of us understand the same thing at the same time and know mm-hmm. what it means and mm-hmm. that was five years ago and not a single thing happened and i don't think people liked my comment you know very well i'll
2: just bring it over
1: to the think tank and let's muddle it through <laughs> <laughs> i'm all for it any, okay. any final, we got one minute any, any final thought you want to continue? No, this
2: is this has been great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, being able to share some some things, and hopefully, I helped someone.
1: <laughs> uh, well, it it's definitely going to help someone because you know this is a big thing right now: uh, operational resilience, organizational resilience, and you know I know there's the standard uh, guidelines that came out of the EU. And whatever comes out of there is going to come impact us on this side as well. Yeah, because you know we and you brought it up earlier too. If you've got a global company. You, you're going to have to address it. And if you're addressing it here because you've got business over there, you're going to start asking those questions of your partners that are here. So it just starts to grow here as well. So hopefully yes, this will is help all those people.
2: Yep. Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Lisa, for joining us. I really appreciate you sharing your time and expertise with us. And you know, apologies again. It took way too long to get you on the show. But uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're here, and I'm sure it's not going to be the first time.
2: Okay. Well, I
1: look forward to it next time. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Lisa, for joining us and everyone watching and listening. Stay prepared, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.